Thank you very much, Chaim, and uh, it's good to be back in the CBD and uh, to be back at the Chabad of the CBD. I was here a few, a few years back. Every now and again, Chaim, when he doesn't, when he can't get a, a big politician or a, somebody's made a few million, he calls me, and I'm kidding. Um, no, but it is, it is, it is wonderful to be back and um, to see people back working in the city. I'm sure it's good for those of you who are, who are back at work. And uh, as Chaim announced, you know, today we're going to be looking at something. The topic, the topic we wrote was delving into the dairy. Um, so what we'll look at today is something which I, which I hope will give you a little bit of insight as we lead into the Chag of Shavuot. I find that Shavuot is definitely one of the, I guess, more enjoyable. It's, not, it's only two days. You, know, you don't have to clean the house as well as you do for Pesach. You don't have to build a sukkah. You just have to go buy a cheesecake. That's pretty much the most preparation you need to do. And maybe if you really want to buy a Tikkunel Shavuot, it's also a nice thing to do. But it's really one of the most special Chagim. You know, when you look at, obviously, the, th- the main theme being receiving the Ten Commandments and, of course, reading the Ten Commandments in Shul and some of the other beautiful things, the Book of Ruth, the Akhtamot, which we read in, in many Shuls. So really fantastic ideas. But I think if you would Google Shavuot, two images would come up. One would be what? The Ten Commandments or the Torah, and the other would be Cheesecake. And if you speak to anyone, I was actually at... Um, the FKI, like the Scopus Kinders next to our shul. So every now and again I come in there and tell them a story. So I said, you know, what do you, what, you, know, what do you guys all know about Shavuot? And what do they say? Well, they didn't say cheesecake, they said ice cream. So this, there's, a lot, there's a lot about tradition, a lot about minhagi, a lot about customs. And of course, as I said, the most famous one is the dairy products that we eat on Shavuot. And so what I'd like to do today is present seven reasons why we eat, we eat dairy on, on Shavuot. But to actually connect them to another part of the experience that we go through from the second night of Pesach up until, uh, obviously, the end of, of uh, the Omer period, which is we go through seven of our midot, seven of our emotional attributes, the Sfirot. Every night when we count the Sfirot Omer, we speak about another one where we have to refine. So we started off you know, with Chesed, with you know, refining the attribute of kindness. And within kindness, there's seven other attributes. You know? So there's Chesed of Chesed and Gvura of Chesed. And so what I'd like to do today is look at seven reasons why we, and, and there probably are more, but seven, seven main reasons why we eat dairy products on Shavuot, and see how each of those reasons relate to another one of those seven attributes. And hopefully, I guess when we eat the dairy products on Shavuot, it's not just going to be a physical indulgement, it should be a spiritual one as well. It should be recognizing why we're doing this. And I think that's the, the greatest gift, is where we can amalgamate both of those worlds, where we see the spiritual significance when it comes to the physical experience because Judaism is very much about physical but it's about recognizing the spirituality within the physical experience I mean we all the mitzvot we do are all connected to the physical really we put on tefillin we eat food kashrut we have mezuzah on the walls all physical aspects and the more you appreciate the spirituality behind it the holiness behind it then it obviously turns it into the purpose of why initially Hashem wanted it to be a physical space. So, although this is a talk, if anyone has any questions as we go along, please feel free um, to do so. So, just for the ease of uh, remembering all, obviously we want to, we'll just go through very quickly the seven attributes, chesed being the first one. And of course, these are the seven emotional aspects of a human being, that as we go through our lives, there's going to be ways that we interact with other human beings, there's going to be relationships that we form, there's going to be the way we connect with ourselves, with Hashem, and these are going to obviously play a major impact. Now, the, the, the three intellectual faculties are not part of the equation, at least certainly through the sphere of Omer, being Chesed, uh, being Chachma bin Endayat, the Chabad of our intellectual capacity. 
those are not really things that necessarily are going to be refined through our behavior, right? Our intellectual, although, of course, the way we think about things, the way we process our thoughts are important, but really the, the emotional experience is how we, how we improve from the second day of Pesach as we now get ready to receive the Torah. It's now how do we refine our behavior. So chesed, gvura, tiferet. Gvura is, of course, and we'll get into more detail, gvura is how we withhold, how we withhold back. Sometimes we need sort of strictness and judgment. Tiferet is a beauty or, or the, the sort of amalgamation of chesed and gvura. And then we have netzach, which is overcoming obstacles. Netzach hod, and then hod is, of course, the... Again, many people diff- translate differently, but I like to use the, the idea of humility. Hod is a, is a humility aspect. Yesod is our connection. And then, of course, malchud is how we, you know, how we relate to the world. As in anyone, when a malchud represents sort of the crown... And the crown is, is really the, you know, the philosophy of everything. And how that crown now rules is malchut. It's how do I approach the world around me. So I can have all these incredible attributes. But the minute I, get in, I put it into practice, what happens? If I don't have a way to bring that to the next person or to relate to the next person, then it probably it was not very uh, fruitful. So we've got to work our way down and ensure that all the other attributes are, are strong. And then the way we give over to the world... Hopefully be, hopefully be good. So just want to throw it out there. Uh, maybe we'll just try, take two. If anyone wants to. Does anyone know why? We, any reasons that are known in this room? I'm sure people do know. But why, why do we eat dairy on Shavuot? What are the reasons that you've heard in the past? Anyone have any? Well, it's not the laws of kashrut, so they had to wait a period for the meat to be kashrut. Okay, very good. So we'll get into that one. That is certainly one of the reasons. Any other reasons that are known in this? I Googled yesterday. Google knows a, <laughs> Google knows a lot. It's uh, <coughs> it's uh, Torah is a food for soul. Ah. Therefore, the milk is a food for human being for children. Beautiful. So that's actually our first reason. First reason. Uh, sorry, what was your name? Stephen. Stephen said it beautifully, correctly. Um, if you look in, uh, I think it's in Shira Shirim or, or, or one of the other books of uh, of the Torah. It says there that milk and honey, obviously we know about the land of milk and honey, but it says there, milk and honey, like the Torah, lies under your tongue, and it nurtures your body. Um, we you probably get this answer very quickly now, because we've been talking about the subject, but there's, there's one thing in this world, and I've yet to find anyone who I've asked this question to, to find another one that exists in this world. There's only one property in this world, one aspect in this world, that the more you give of it, the more it makes. So... Money, of course, if you give money, and I'm not talking about spiritually that Hashem will pay you back, I'm talking about the physical property of it. If we have 10 bagels on this table and I give out nine of them, there's only one left. It's not producing more bagels, right? There's, there's only one thing in the world that it does that. Does anybody know what that is? Exactly. Mother's milk. If a, if a woman, in order for a woman to produce more milk, she needs to actually give milk. So if she says, well, I'm going to be selfish or I'm going to be stingy, I'm going to, I'm going to store it all up and keep it for a rainy day, what will happen? She's actually going to lose milk. And it's quite phenomenal because if you think about that, that the, the, most, the first initial reaction or interaction that a, that a child has or a baby has before it has any intellectual real faculties developed is being nurtured through this one aspect, which is providing... Hello. Don't be sorry. It's this one... This nurturing, which really, I guess, gives it hopefully the foundation that it's going to understand that in life, 
the best way to receive things in life, the best way that you're ever going to get things in life is when you become a giver. You get somebody who's, who's based your foundation on chesed. And in fact, Judaism's governed that way. They say our right-hand side and our left-hand side each represent one aspect. The right represents chesed and left represents gvura. And so you see in, in Judaism many things we're always told, do you use your right hand first. Why? Because we always want to be driven. So when you get changed in the morning, for example, Halacha says you should always put on your right shoe first and then put in your left shoe first. Why? Because again, the most, the most, I guess, subconscious things that are going on in your life, how many of us are really conscious when we're putting on our shoes? We don't really think about it. It's just, you know, I've had a number of groups over the years, you know, non-Jewish school groups come, you know, they come to, for a tour of the shul. And I often tell them this when we're talking about Judaism. I say, you know, Judaism even tells us how to tie our shoes. And they look at me like, that's crazy, you know. How can your religion tell you how to tie your shoes? Isn't that going a bit fine? I explain to them, it's not trying to rule your life. It's trying to set you up that even in your most, you know, basic physical actions, you're doing something which is trying to teach you how to guide yourself, that you should always be, your interactions with others should always be based on the principles that chesed should come first. And so the nurturing of the mother's milk, of course, which, which is one of the main reasons why we eat dairy and Shavuot, because the Torah is there to give us that same nurturing, just like a mother's milk gives a child it's, and it envelops the whole person, it sustains the whole person, the Torah is supposed to be that aspect. And so the first connection that we have to have is, is to work on our chesed. And that's obviously how we started the, the counting of the Lama. We started with chesed. Um, good afternoon. So that's, that's the first idea, is that we've got to, we got to look at, at, at the milk when, we eat, when you eat your piece of cheesecake on Shavuot to try and imbue it in yourself and say, ah, Shavuot is there to... You know, the cheesecake, as I say, is not just because it tastes good and it's, you know, it's, I can eat one, you know, more than one piece, but it's there because it's supposed to be nurturing me. And what part of the Torah is supposed to be nurturing you? The milk part of the Torah, which is the Torah which teaches you to be a kind, considerate, generous, empathetic person. If your Torah is not based on the foundations of chesed, then you're not studying it properly or you, you're not learning it enough. You know, they say that there was, I can't remember which uh, one, of the, one of the Chabad Rabbeim said, or maybe someone else famous said that... Is, there's certain things in this world, and maybe it's based on the Gemara, that the more you, if someone complains that they haven't had enough of it, or they, they haven't, it hasn't had an impact on them, then they haven't had enough of it. Does anyone know what are the, what are the things? So one is drunk. If somebody says, I don't get drunk. They say, well, that's, you, you do get drunk, you just didn't drink enough, right? Because no matter how much you think you don't get drunk, and you often hear people, oh, it doesn't touch me alcohol. Okay, because you only had one lachaim, or you had two lachaims, and maybe you can handle a lot, but you will get drunk, if you drink enough of it. What's the other thing? It says that money will make you crazy. And so if somebody says, no, money hasn't made me crazy. What's the answer? You don't have enough of it yet. <laughs> and the other thing is, it says somebody says, Torah hasn't refined me yet. Then what's the answer? You haven't studied enough Torah. You haven't learned enough. And perhaps I would add a, a caveat to that. You haven't learned it correctly. Or you perhaps don't have a teacher that's teaching it to you properly. Or you're not learning how to learn it properly. And so therefore, if, if your foundational principle, which is the first reason of dairy on Shavuot, which is that it's supposed to nurture us, if that's not aligned with chesed, then you really got to rethink the whole, the whole story. If, you, if your Torah is not inspiring you to be considerate to others and to, to, to talk like a mensch, to behave like a mensch, then you've probably missed the target. So that's our first, that's our first goal. And that's the first reason on Shavuot. Uh, second reason. Again, these are not in particular order. Obviously, they're in order with the Svirot that I'm talking about. But the second one is Gvura. Gvura, as I said, is withholding. Gvura is a very important attribute that anyone has to have, let alone 
perhaps somebody who's got children, because Gvura, I guess, intrinsically seems negative. You know, why should I come in with strictness and, and sternness? But ultimately, Gvura is a very important aspect of our relationships because if we don't have Gvura, let's use, a, you know, in terms of relating to your significant other or a spouse or a friend, you know, sometimes if you continuously leeching onto them and, and always want the other person's attention, what's going to happen? They're naturally going to repel you because they say, oh, you're suffocating me, it's too much. So you need to have boundaries. Boundaries are not unhealthy. The question is, of course, if you have too many boundaries, then certainly uh, you will never interact with the other person. If you put a wall between you and your spouse, and you say, okay, we'll live on either side of the wall, okay, you probably won't get into any fights, but you're not gonna, your relations aren't going to develop either because you're not going to see each other, you're not going to talk to each other. But at the same time, if you don't have any boundaries, again, if it's continuously just you know, on top of each other all the time, then again, that's also not healthy. So chesed is very nurturing as well as gvur is very nurturing like chesed, but in a different way. Same thing with children. And we all know today's day and age, like people are very nervous to tell the children to you know. You know, it's it's like very unpopular if you don't if you don't let your children do everything they want to do. You know, today's society looks at it as oh, such a cruel parent, and you know, probably it could be borderline abuse if you don't let them do these things. But anybody with a little bit of seichel will know that it's not saying that you should lock your child up. But you know, if your child's going to run, and certainly a young child, if your child's running into the traffic, and you say, well, the rabbi just said. I need to be driven by, by chesed. I have to be a nurturing per- parent. I can never say no. So I'm going to be kind to my child and let them play in the, in the traffic. Now we all know that that's, obviously it's an extreme example, but that's not <coughs> kindness. That's actually being cruel because the child, God forbid, can get hit by a car. So gvura, if it's utilized effectively, it's actually kindness in its own right. When you t- take that child out of the traffic, you're actually doing a kindness for that child. But it requires at times boundaries. So there, therefore, ultimately, every time you're going to put up a boundary in your life, Ask your question, is its purpose solely for the, for the, for the purpose of Gvura, or is there something deeper to it? And we'll look at, that actually comes to a head in Tiferet, which we'll speak about. Can anyone try and think what, what would actually relate in the reasons why we dairy to Gvura? We've, we've had one reason which we said was the nurturing. What was the other reason you mentioned? was about Kashrut. Mm-hmm. Right? So we'll get to that in a moment. There's another reason. And this reason actually goes... Uh, we obviously have 365 days in the year, and they say that every day of the year, in particular, the negative mitzvot, so the, you've got the positive mitzvot, and you've got the negative mitzvot, the lotase, every day of the year relates to another negative mitzvah. So the question is, what mitzvah relates to the festival of Shavuot? Because if every day relates to another negative mitzvah, what is the mitzvah that relates to, to Shavuot? And the answer is that the, the mitzvah that relates to Shavuot is found in the verse which obviously speaks about the Bikurim. You know, a lot of shuls have uh, this Bikurim, Bikurim ceremony to reenact or to try and have the nostalgia of how it would have been like in the Beit HaMikdash. And in the same Pasuk where it speaks about Bikurim, there's another negative mitzvah. Does anybody know what that mitzvah is? Famous one we read on many of the Chagim, and it's repeated three times in the Torah. Exactly. Lord Tevashel Gedi Bachalevi You should not cook a kid in its mother's milk. And the Torah says it three times. Why three times? One's to teach us that we shouldn't mix meat and milk together. One to teach us we shouldn't cook meat and milk together. And the other one is to teach us we can't get benefit from meat and milk together. And so therefore, if the positive mitzvah Shavuot is Bikurim, and the same Pasuk is found where it speaks about Lot of Ashel, so the sages said that we eat dairy on 
Shavuot, but we also make sure, and again, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, the, the real way to do it is you should have dairy first and then wait, and then you have a meat meal. You should actually have both meals happening on Shavuot. Fortunately, you know, a lot of people don't. They just, obviously, maybe it's too complicated or too expensive to have dairy and meat, whatever the reasons might be. I know, I mean, Ashul probably is guilty as charged. We're having a Shavuot dinner, and it's only going to be a dairy dinner. It's not going to be dairy and meat, but ultimately it should have both of those aspects in relation certainly to this reason because you want to have the negative and the positive. You want to have not cooking a kid in his mother's milk, so you need to have the meat and the milk side by side. Um, and so, how does this relate to Gvura? So again, it's looking at how does Hashem view the negative commandments? Are the negative commandments there to just punish us? Or are they creating boundaries to help us live a fruitful life? Now, we don't always understand how these mitzvot, like I said to you, you know, when I spoke to those uh, you know, high school students, and I said, you know, Hashem tells me how to tie my shoelace, although that's not a negative mitzvah. But I asked them, I said, you know, if you had, I asked them, how many laws do you think the Torah has? And they, sometimes they don't even get 10. I'm like, don't you even know about the 10 commandments? You come from a Christian school. Sometimes they say two or three. So I said, you should at least say 10. That, that part you should know. But I said, I say 613. And it's interesting, mostly the teachers like are pretty gobsmacked. They're like, 613 laws? I firstly explained them. I said, look, firstly, not all of them are applicable now because we don't have a better mikdash. Secondly, many of them are, are mitzvot that only happen if you come across the opportunity. So, uh, returning a lost object is not, is not always going to be a mitzvah you'll fulfill because you might not always find a lost object. And that leads into a whole different, maybe I'll come back for another talk about reincarnation. Sometimes you have to come back again to do some of the mitzvot. So, by the way, just on that, I just did this talk in my shul recently. Um, if you do come across a mitzvah, an opportunity to do that mitzvah, make sure you do it because you could, have, you could literally be here and doesn't mean you're going to die straight away after that, but you could literally have come back because you need to fulfill that aspect. You might need to do it a few times. So if you, st- you start finding lost objects all the time, or don't like say, oh, I'll let somebody else find it. You don't, you don't want to bring your, a part of the soul back again next, in the next lifetime. So don't miss the opportunities. But anyway, getting back to so the, the, the mitzvot, and you say there's 613 and certainly 365 negative ones, you would probably look at that, that's, that's Hashem telling me what I'm allowed to do. So I, I used to give them this analogy, which of course will fall short at times, but I say, you know, if you were the, if you were the owner of, of the iPhone and you were sitting there writing instructions, you know, I don't know how many people actually even read instructions anymore with technology. I don't even know if it comes with instructions, I think you have to go on, a, on an app or something, or maybe today with a QR code to scan. But has anybody ever read the instructions of an iPhone? So there's, there used to be one rule, I don't think it applies anymore, you'll see in a moment, but there used to be one rule which says, don't take your iPhone swimming with you in the water. Now, why I say it's not relevant today? Because most, a lot of them are waterproof today. But even then, you probably shouldn't you know, submerge it for too long. And so I ask the kids, I say, is the reason, if you, if you bought your new iPhone and you read the instructions, it says, do not take your iPhone swimming. And you say, I'm going to be a free spirit, free thinker, not letting anyone tell me what to do. Me and my iPhone, we've bonded. We're close. Who, who do you think you are telling me what to do? I'm going to go for a swim. I said to them, what's going to be the, the outcome of that experience? Yes, you're going to be in control. Yes, you're going to make your own choices. But ultimately, what's going to happen to your iPhone? You're not going to have it tomorrow. So I said, is that, is, is that instruction there to make your life worse or there to make your life better? What would you say? <laughs> Makes your life worse, the instruction. Cheaper. Cheaper? Yes. Yeah, you have to go buy another one. 
But it certainly is there to enhance your experience with the phone. It's not there to make your experience worse because they don't want you damaging your phone. So in a way, in Lahavdil, obviously Hashem is not, not a, is not, the Torah is not an iPhone and we're not iPhones. But I thought, Hashem, if we could really understand and appreciate, if we understood our soul, if we had the ability to truly appreciate everything we did and its impact on our soul, we would see how much the negative mitzvot are, are a positive influence on us. But it takes great wisdom. And I'm, I'm not, I don't even have that wisdom. Uh, maybe some of you do have that wisdom. But, you know, to know when you make a bracha, you know, obviously Chaim had rolls and he, and he invited us to wash our hands. How many of us truly felt when we washed our hands for the Amotzi that, oh, my soul is now, you know, basking in the rays of godliness. And so when we think about the dairy product and we think about the, that it represents or connects to one of the negative mitzvot, it's actually a positive sign and we should connect to our attribute of gvura. Which moves us on to Tiferet. So what is Tiferet? Tiferet means harmony. Harmony really is also beauty. How do you, how do you actually define beauty? Does anybody know? What, what makes something beautiful? The, the eyes of the beholder. Okay, so very good. So it's the eyes of the beholder. That's true that everybody will have a different experience of beauty or different appreciation of beauty. What else? How, what, what makes something stand out that... You know, if you go to, I don't know, is anybody into art over here? Any art gurus over here? That makes all of us. Um, but if you do speak to artists, and I have a, a few that I've met over the years, to them it's all about contrast, right? The great artists look at how colors blend together, how you can have two distinct colors. I mean, even in, even in this crazy modern art where you have like one splash of a, it has to be two colors. You can't just have, you know, no one will just buy a white just a white, or maybe they will. It depends. <laughs> it depends who's setting the white so canvas. <coughs> yeah, so, you know, just a full black or a full green or a full yellow. You say, I'm going to sell this full yellow canvas. Again, as I said, you might have some people who, who might buy it, but most people would say, why would I buy this? It, but the minute you throw a piece, a splash of yellow in it, and now you've got the, re- the yellow and the red, oh, this is art. This is, of course, for the maven, they know that's not really art. It's just somebody's conned them into thinking it. But, but it's the contrast. It's the two together which, you now, which makes, now makes harmony. When you, see, when you see two opposing forces almost, or two opposite things, and you say these two are going to work together, that's beauty according to Kabbalah. That's what Tiferet is. So it's really amalgamating Chesed, which seems a completely antithesis, the antithesis to Gvura, because how can kindness and strictness, how can they merge? So I gave you an example of how they merge. Where you take a child out of the traffic, that's chesed and gvura merged beautifully into tiferet. Can anyone else think of an example where we can have an, an amalgamation of chesed and gvura? Eating. Eating. How do we have, how, explain. Okay. If you are hungry, you uh, feel your hunger. But if you are overeating... You've got a bit of problem. Okay, in- interesting. Um, so somebody once gave me an analogy. If you take, you know, how do you cook food today? You need also two opposing forces. You need fire and you need water. These two don't ever usually mix together. But you can have tiferi through them. How? By having a boundary. You can have something which sort of allows these two to operate together. You need you need a tiferi to bring chesed and gvura. So you, for cooking's sake, that's the pot. The pot serves as tiferet. It's saying, 
I see the beauty in you, fire. I see the beauty in you, water. And I want you guys to work together, but in order for that to work, I need to show you how to work together. And I separate you with a pot. So in any, in any aspect, when you have teferit, you need to see the two and say, how am I going to blend these two colors together? I need to mix them in this particular way. Even the concept of dairy, if you think about it, because dairy is dairy, right? Ah. Where does dairy come from? It comes from meat. Ah. It comes from a cow. So that in itself, naturally, is a Beautiful. That you take something which in its own... Well, one of the reasons... It wasn't, it's not one of the reasons that I've brought here, but one of the reasons why I have heard we do have dairy, and I can maybe make an eighth reason, but then I have to find another eighth middah, and I, I'm not high enough to create a new one. Um, but one of, the, one of the ideas which you've just beautifully mentioned is that uh, in a sense all of us even if somebody didn't actually convert to Judaism anyone who was born Jewish is technically a convert when did we all convert? does anybody know when we all converted? at Har Sinai we said we, Hashem said do you want the Torah? do you want to be Jewish? and we said yes we could have said no and then we wouldn't have been Jewish so every person who converts subsequent to that also has to say do you want to keep the mitzvahs or not? And they have to say, nice, Evan Ishma. So everybody's a convert. So Shavuot is really celebrating the concept of conversion. And of course, we read the book of Ruth, you know, who is the epitome of a righteous convert and somebody, of course, who was the grandmother of David Amelech. But how do we see conversion in terms of milk? Is it what you just said? Because intrinsically, what is milk? It comes from fleshic, it comes from meat. So how can we... How could it be a completely distinct entity that shows you that something which starts off as basar can actually become milk? That even though a person was not Jewish, they can, can complete, even though they, they look exact same, they come from the same source technically. When you, when you, when you accept Torah, you can now become a totally different, a totally different status. So, so well said. But the idea that I was looking to connect to Tiferet was, uh, they say that Harsinai had another name. Does anyone, anyone know what other name Harsinai had? <coughs> Har Gavnunim, which means the Mount of Splendor. There's another word which sounds like Gavnunim, which is Gvina, dairy. So we eat cheese to remind us of Har Gavnunim. Why, did, why does that connect to Tiferet? Because Har Sin, I think, had the amalgamation of both of those. It was, it was a Tiferet, it was beautiful. Why? Because on the one hand, it was, it was humble, it was lowly, it was not the tallest of all mountains, but yet it was chosen to be the most special of all mountains. So it, it, it knew how to blend greatness with humility, right? And sometimes if you don't know how to blend those two, you can get caught in both. Because if you're too humble, it means you're going to get stepped on all the time. If you don't utilize humility properly. Humility doesn't mean that you bash your own identity, right? And, and greatness doesn't mean you walk around thinking everybody's worse than you or, or you're greater than everybody else. Humility and greatness should actually be Tiferet. Greatness comes through the sense of how you use your humility. So Har Sinai was not, and that's why Hashem chose Har Sinai, because it knew how to embody Tiferet perfectly. It was humble, but yet it was great. And that's why it was deserved of the Torah. So Har Gav Nunim, which why we eat dairy, again represents Tiferet. So we've spoken about Chesed, a way of nurturing ourselves. We've spoken about Gvura through the negative mitzvot. And now we're talking about Tiferet through the concept of cheese, dairy, Harugav Nunim, which represents Har Sinai. So we now have to Netzach. And I've, for 140, I've got to be done. 142? <coughs> is Netzach. Netzach is also, uh, all of them are very important. What does Netzach represent? 
overcoming. Netzach means victorious or successful. Netzach is the ability to overcome challenges. You need to push yourself. It's like anyone who wants to be productive in any aspect of life needs Netzach. You need to push yourself. If you see a challenge and you just give up, then of course your attribute of Netzach is not being refined well. So you need to have a strong Netzach. Netzach also, I think, helps you if something has gone wrong. It gives you the ability to say, well, I'm going to try again. I'm going to push myself again. How, how important is that quality? We all know it, whether it be in any area of life. You know, if you want to get strong or get fit or lose weight, if you, if, if you go to the gym and after one day you haven't been successful and you say, well, I give up, you're never going to re- you, your netzach needs to be uh, consistent and then you have to persevere. It's, a, it's like a long game. It's not a short game. It's a long go- It's a consistent game. But it also, as I said, represents something related to Shavuot. So Chalav, again, this is using numerical values. How much is the numerical value of Chalav? Chet is 8, Lamed is 30, Bet is 2, which is 40. How long was Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai? 40 days. But in fact, he was there for 120 days. He was there 40 days the first time to receive the instruction of the Torah. He was then another 40 days after he broke the first set of Luchot to ask for forgiveness. He went to go ask for atonement. And then another 40 days which he came back down with a second set of Luchot. So that period, which all represented by 40, which connects to milk, represents Netzach. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu could have easily given up. He could have said, smashed, I quit. But he persevered. He said, I believe in this people. Although, I was, although he was frustrated with the people, although he wasn't happy with the people, he believed that they had a, an ability to come right. And so eating halav connects us to the 40 the 40 days that Moshe Rabbeinu spent in those three increments. Um, also, there's 40 generations, interestingly, from the time Moshe Rabbeinu ruled till Ravina and Ravashi. Who were Ravina and Ravashi? They were the first uh, elucidators, or they, they wrote the Gemara. So there was 40 generations of the span of written Torah to oral Torah, which again goes hand in hand. It's also Tiferet, in a way. But that represents Netzach. And also to, to persevere from the written Torah all the way to bringing out the oral Torah requires Netzach. And you see some of the great rabbis of the time who literally had to persevere through incredible challenges, destructions of Batei Mikdash, uh, you know, crazy things that occurred to them, being expelled from their land, you know, Galut Bavel, all the different things that went on is Netzach. Um, okay, let's just move fast because we're running out of time. Hod, which is the ability, the, the attribute of humility. So we could... We could tie in Hod with Har Sinai as well, because Har Sinai was humility. But there's another reason why we don't eat, and that goes back to your reason. It says that the Jewish people, when they received the Torah, they didn't know yet the laws of how to prepare kosher meat. So they didn't know how to shech. They didn't know the rigorous salting process, how to, how to get a knife ready. And so they had to have milk. But people say, well, why didn't they learn how to do that? And so the other reason says that it was actually on Shabbos. And so on Shabbos, you're not allowed to do all the processes that you need to shech meat and to salt and all that. They're all against Shabbos. And so the only thing they had left was milk that had been milked Erev Shabbos. So they had to have dairy. There are, there are, there's interesting halachic discussion about this and which questions this particular. But this is, the, this is the well-known reason. And so therefore they ate dairy because they were not yet ready to be able to process. Either they didn't have enough time to do it or it was Shabbos and they couldn't... Um, they couldn't actually do it properly. Now, how does this relate to Hod, humility? So, uh, it took me long and hard to try and find a connection to this and Hod. But the connection is, in my view, 
uh, and, and probably goes more to along the lines that they didn't know how to do something or they were not yet ready for something. And that, I think, is one of the great signs of humility is where you admit that I don't know something. You know, if you look in any part of Torah, certainly in Perikovus, it speaks about over there that shtika, you know, the, 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 the root of wisdom is what? Is shtika, is silence. And people ask the question, how can, that be, how can wisdom come from silence? What's the answer? Well, one answer is that you're prepared to listen. Right, if you go to a lecture, and thank God you've all been really well, you're all listening really well, but if, you, if, you, if I came to this lecture and you wouldn't stop talking, right, then you would be saying, well, I don't need to hear what this person has to say. I know it all. And then you, 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 you may not have learned anything from me. And so I think that aspect where the Jewish people were willing to admit that they didn't know how to do everything just yet, and they weren't sure, perhaps they didn't understand the laws of Shabbos fully, so they, they said, we're not going to get into this yet. That sometimes it's better not to just jump at something, ask questions, learn more about it, be prepared to admit that you don't know something. Even Rashi, the great commentator on the Torah, what did he say many times in his commentary? I don't know the reason for this. Can you imagine? This guy's supposed to know everything. He comments on everything, and yet he had the humility to be able to say, I don't know, I don't know the reason for this. That's greatness, I think, going back to again, but that's that's hard. Um, we'll go very quickly. A sod is connections. Connections Life is all about how we interact with people, how we bond. Your study is looking at a much deeper bond. And of course, within each of these are the other attributes. So they all have aspects of the others within themselves. But the ultimate purpose of your study is how do I bond to the other one? But not yet, it's not yet going and bonding because that's going to be at Malchut. It's how am I forming in my, in my emotional state? How am I forming the bonds that I want to create? Are they going to be strong? Are they going to be done through love? Are they going to be done through selfishness? Or they're going to be done through humility, through kindness, through tiferet. So there's almost a process. But where is bonding in the reasons for Shavuot? So here, again, a little bit of poetic license. Um, Zayin Adar was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Three months later, when he was, um, which was the sixth of Sivan, which was the day of Shavuot, where he was now ready to, um, to sort of be nurtured, and they, he was refusing to eat. So I guess for the first three months, I don't know what happened, but they say that, Within those first three months, up until he was, he refused to be nurtured at all, and then they had to bring in Yochevet, and it says because he didn't want from his mouth that should be something which is not from a kosher, not from a Jewish woman, and so even at a very young age. And but then we see something really incredible: who actually gave permission to bring in, in Yochevet, and who raised Moshe, the daughter of Paroi. And this is almost probably the most you know, ironic bond that formed because she was the daughter of Paroi who said to kill all the Jewish males. And so the person who nurtured him was actually the complete opposite to him. It was somebody who had no relation to him. And on the contrary, it was somebody who was his sworn enemy, really. But the two of them formed a bond, a close bond, and she looked after him. And I think and one of the reasons why we eat milk on, 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 on Shavuot is to remember Moshe's self-sacrifice, like not to nurse from an Egyptian woman and to wait. But it also, I think, I love the story, the backstory of the two of them because sometimes bonding, you know, we, we say that chesed is, 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 you know, it's easy to be kind to someone that you like. You know what I mean? I have a lot of chesed for my wife or a lot of, well, maybe not your wife. I have a lot of chesed for my child. Okay, shkoyach, you have a lot of chesed for your child. It's your child. What about chesed for you, the guy Chul who annoys you? Do you have chesed for them? No, no, no I don't talk to that person. Um, in fact, one of the one of the non-kosher birds is was called the chasida, and many commentators say, why would it, 
why would they give the name Chasida to a non kosher? Because they say that one of the reasons why certain birds of prey are not kosher because their their characteristics represent non kosher characteristics. We don't want to imbue what we eat into the way we behave. So why would Chasida? Why would kindness be a negative attribute? So it says that that particular bird, and some say it's the stork. The other opinions is that it's very kind to its immediate flock or its immediate circle. The minute you belong to an outside circle, will attack you. And so therefore, its kindness is misguided. It's very much about itself. I'm kind because it's, it's for my benefit. Para's daughter showed kindness beyond what was good for her. And look, maybe there were selfish motives, I don't know. But ultimately, she took the biggest risk to bond to something which was not for her own benefit. That's really powerful bonding. When you're bonding for the sake of connecting with the other person, not because it gives you gratification. And finally, Malchut is how do we, how do we relate to that? How do we take from what, what's within and give it out? Right? That's the ultimate goal. And everything that, you've, everything that you've worked on in yourself, and this all happens all the time. How does the other person actually receive me? Are they receiving me and wanting to run away from me? Or are they receiving from me and saying, ah, oh, this is somebody that I want to connect with. This is somebody that I want to learn from. This is somebody that I want to care for. Right? So your Malchut is how the crown, which represents your your intellectual faculties all the way through to your emotional faculties, you're now ruling the country. How are the citizens enjoying this crown? That's very important. And in that sense, there's a very, again, a bit of a poetic license connection. But the final reason, at least in terms of the seven reasons, was there's a concept, there's a mitzvah or a negative mitzvah called Aver Minachai. We're not allowed to rip a, a limb from a live animal. You have to shecht it and do it properly. Before the Torah was given, the Jewish people actually had thought, and again, this will contradict some of the other, but Torah has many different faces, that they thought that Avram and Achai included milk. So apparently, up until, according to some opinions, up until the Torah was given, they never had milk. It's only when they were taught Avram and Achai, and they were then taught in the same Torah that there's the land of flowing of milk and honey, Tavash Chalav, they realized that they could have milk, although some say that the chalav in that pasuk doesn't refer to milk of a cow, it refers to milk of dates, of coconuts, whatever it is. Um, but they recognized that from that point onwards, Avram and Achai literally meant ripping from a live, it had to have sinews in it, and so they were allowed to have milk. So again, we drink milk on, on, or eat milk, dairy products to celebrate that the Torah was given, and now we knew the difference between the real Avram and Achai and not. But how does this relate to Malchut? So it relates to Malchut by, if you just rip things out, if you don't actually do it in a process, and you just take it while it's still raw, that processing, that's against the Torah. So if everything you've done here is like an Evrim in Achai, you're just ripping the thing from the, from the flesh without being compassionate, without going through a process, then it's treif. And so all that we've learned today, all the other aspects has to end with Malchut being, we don't rip it. We don't rip it from its flesh. We do it slowly, we do it compassionately, we do it with, with well thought through. So, to sum up, in this, this year, Shavuot, when we eat cheesecake or we drink or eat ice cream or drink milkshakes, whatever you're going to be doing, hopefully you've got a little bit of insight as to why and how, more importantly, how it relates to us being hopefully better people. And hopefully Hashem will recognize our change of behavior and hopefully give us uh, the ability to celebrate together in Yerushalayim Yerakodesh without missiles flying over our heads and uh, with, with being able to with being able to serve in the base of Mikdash. Chag Sameach, everyone. Thank you.